Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Good morning, good morning. Hey, do me a favor, just remain standing. And um, I want to do this real fast. I know the buckets are going around as well, and that's new. We haven't done that in a while, Uh, but it's all good. I just want to do this. We're going to read the word in a minute, but can we just honor... Uh, our entire dream team today, right? It takes a lot of work to do Portable Church. And man, I just am so grateful. We love you. And I'm just so excited to be here. I really feel this from the Lord. I'm going to share this to second service. I was just sensing this in worship. Um, I really feel this from the Lord. I don't want to just get through this season. Does that make sense? I believe that this is an opportunity. I really do. I really sense this from God to grow before we even get into that new building. And so I believe that the next few weeks, let just God begin to challenge us, right? We're going to pray that the construction goes well, that it's all in order. And even if it's a little delayed or whatever, that's fine. Because I'm believing that God is preparing us in this season. And so I want to take full advantage of the season and not just get through. And that's a word for someone just in your own life. That maybe God is making you go through it a little longer, not because he wants you to get through it more, but because he's trying to do something in you and get you ready for what's next. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And so, man, I'm just super excited for today. So let's do this. We're going to go ahead and jump right into the message. Stay standing. That way it's not Catholic church and you're sitting up and down. Just stay standing. And um, we're going to read Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Second Chronicles 7, Verse 14, we've been on this scripture for the last few weeks, and we're going to continue it all throughout while we're here in the high school. And it says this, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Everybody say wicked ways. Everybody say turn. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for what you're doing at our church. And so I pray that you would just continue to move. You've already been moving throughout this service. Thank you, God, for the opportunity of gathering together still. There are nations all over the earth that would die to have what we have. And so, God, I pray that we would take full advantage that we would prioritize the presence of God, that we would continue to reach lost people, that Jesus' spiritual family would be developed, and that, God, you would continue to do what you're doing in our church. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Have a seat. Have a seat. All right. Cool. And this is a little different for me because i got to go like in a circle, you know what I'm saying? But it, but it works. And I'm grateful for the staff and the team that kind of even came up with this layout and format. One of the things that I think is really cool about this style of just kind of doing church with a little bit of a different seating is that we're not just focused on a person, but we're focused as a family together, right? It's kind of like a table setting, and I just think that that's so powerful, Um, to come together. And really, that's why we pivoted. That's why we went from doing home church to doing it in the high school, is that there's this grace, there's this power that comes in, right? All throughout the Bible, you read about it, right? In scripture, when two or more are gathered, right? And, and Jesus talks about gathering in the book of Acts. And, and then you see the apostles talk about it and teach about it. I just think it's really, really special. And so, hey, let's do this. I'm going to jump right in and I'm excited to share. I'm going to share about what I believe 
it's kind of a hot topic. It's kind of an uncomfortable topic. But I want to put a different perspective on it. But I believe it's a necessary topic today. And the topic I want to talk about is repentance. I want to talk about repentance. I want to talk about repentance and prayer. If you're taking notes, repentance and prayer. And some of y'all, you're going to have to definitely take notes and follow along because there's no screens, right? And so you're just going to have to follow on. I'll just tell you, write that down. You know what I'm saying? You'll be good. Repentance and prayer. And for me, the question I would feel that God would ask us today in this room, for the people who would say that are called to thrive and who are coming to this church and want to be part of this church, the question I would have for us today, which I feel Holy Spirit would ask us is this, is are we far away from Jesus? I want you to write that down on your phone, your notebook. If you have a pen and you don't have paper, you just put it on your hand. I don't know, whatever. Back in like school days. Are we far away from Jesus? And why I ask that question is because I believe that, and we're going to talk through it, is the heart of repentance. Repentance is not a moment of confession so that we can feel better about ourselves. That's, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is the ability that God has given us. It's the pathway that God has graciously given us, granted us, so that we can draw closer to him. And I want to say this statement that I believe is so true. Now more than ever in a culture and as a society that is super wicked, right? There's a whole bunch of craziness. Come on, y'all. We live in California, right? There's a lot going on. And I want to say this, though, and I, I want this to begin to embody in our church. And, I, and we're going to kind of do it in a context of prayer. But, but really, this idea of repentance in general in our life, I want to say this statement that I believe is absolutely true. And I want God to begin to deposit it in your heart so that way something would begin to shift in your life. And it's this. It's that we need to learn to fall in love with repentance and to hate sin. I want to tell you that if you're going to follow Jesus... If you're going to say that I want to follow God and I want to trust God and I'm going to love God and I want to serve God, I want to get closer to God, I want you to know this. And maybe there's some times where you've been in church settings and they haven't told you this, and I'm sorry that they haven't, but the truth is in this kingdom, in this thing we call Christianity, in this life of following Jesus and trusting Jesus and trying to go after God, we are called to fall in love with repentance and to hate sin. You and I are called to fall in love with repentance. See, I, I, I wonder where in the last few years repentance has become a bad word. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, come on, we all like the good Christian words, right? Come on. We go to sermon series that we talk about blessing. We all like that word. Blessed, highly favored. Right, come on, we can do all the Christianese we want, right? Blessing, favor, grace. Yeah, that's another one. That's another, my wife was like, grace. She says that because I'm too gracious. Grace, right? We got, we got all the fancy, feel-good Christian words. But then when we, when we talk about words like sin or judgment or repentance, it puts us a different way. And what I want to begin to hopefully describe in this conversation today is I believe that we should feel the same way about the word repentance than we do about blessing, favor, and grace. Because if you actually understood the blessing, favor, and grace repentance is, it actually isn't this thing 
that we have associated with judgment and condemnation. No, but it's actually something that is beautiful that has been instilled in the gospel so that you and I can draw closer to God and not farther from him. And why I say we need to fall in love with repentance is because family, we do. The truth is, is that you and I are broken. The truth is, is we mess up, even for the person who is absolutely falling in love with Jesus and following him, right? It still happens. We're still human. However, God has given us permission in our humanity to draw close to him. It's one of the very things that is beautiful about the cross is that in our humanity, God made a way when there is no way. And even just to kind of go through a little bit of a, of, of, of a historical, biblical context, what we have to understand is for years, like what we just did right now, right? Presence of God, Pastor One leading worship, worship team. We're all raising our hands, right? Singing I Exalt Thee. I don't know if you felt it in the room, right? I had to put, I had to just get on the floor and put my face to the ground because I just felt God in the room. And I love it that we live in a day and age where God, we don't meet God somewhere. God meets us where we're at. He can meet us at a high school. Right now he's meeting people in the underground church in China in caves. He's meeting people in the church of Iran in huts and in secret places, in the bush bush in Africa, in portable, in, in steel buildings in South America, and in a high school in California. God comes where he's wanted. That was not a part of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the only way God came was once a year, and the only way people had to repent is they had to kill an animal. They had to, and, and you've heard me talk about this before. This isn't new. And if you've read the Old Testament, they would have to cut the neck of a ram or a bull or a goat, and they would have to pour the blood out into a, a basin, and that would be the offering that would invite the presence of God. You and I don't have to do that anymore. Because there was a blameless and spotless lamb named Jesus. There was someone who came that made a way for us to have access to the Father without us having to pay the penalty and sacrifice. I want to begin to explain that why repentance is so important is because when we fall in love with repentance... And I'm going to explain what that even means in a minute. But when we fall in love with this idea, what we are saying is, God, I want to draw closer to you and not farther. I want to draw closer to you and not farther. So let's kind of define what repentance is just for a few minutes. And I think this will kind of give us a context. And so let me just give you the Greek definition of the word repent. It means to change one's mind. It means to amend with abhorrence of one's sin or hatred of one's sin. So you are beginning to amend the things in your heart that you know you're not supposed to do because God begins to transform your heart of the sin you committed and it gets you to a place where you fall more in love with him instead of the sin that you're stuck in. Does that make sense? It also means, and this is a big one, invo involves a turning with contrition from sin to God. And so this is how like, the Hebrew writers kind of described repentance. And actually, in, in Hebraic culture, all throughout the Old Testament, what they would do is they would do this thing, and, and if you've read the Old Testament, you've kind of seen this, they would do this thing where they would say that they would put on sackcloth and ashes. And what actually sackcloth and ashes were, is they would, I don't know if you've ever seen like the old school potato bags. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
like the ones at the grocery store. Like a lot of us shop at Target now, so they don't have the old school potato bags. But like the big old old school potato bags, I remember being like eight years old and I was living with my grandma and my aunt and they would make me carry the big old potato bag and it was like heavier than I was. So they would put essentially a big old potato sack on their body, right? And they would cover themselves with ash, kind of like how like Catholics do on Ash Wednesday, but their entire body. And what it was is it was a visual sign of them mourning and repenting for the sin of their nation or the sin of what they committed. Now, fast forward, I'm not saying you have to do that. But what we find in the context of repentance, I want you, I want you, to, I want you to connect this because I think this is really important. Repentance is not a tearful moment in a church service that you feel better about yourself because what you did wrong. Repentance is the allowing God to transform your life so that way you begin to love him more than the sin that is separating you and him. It is a conscious decision, not just an emotional one. And literally the way the Greek and Hebrew writers would describe it is that when you are in sin, it's almost as if you are going away from God, right? Let's say God is like in the center of your life right here. Every time I sin, I am turning away from God. But when I repent, I am turning back into the direction that I need to go. This is why 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, turn from your wicked ways. Some of us, I just, I'm just going to talk to the men in the room. We oftentimes, especially when we're driving and we're lost, we don't want to admit it, right? But how many know that sometimes the only way to fix when you miss the exit is you got to turn around? That's what repentance looks like. Repentance looks like, God, I don't know how, but help me to turn so I can seek you for who you are. So I can be with you. So I can draw closer to you. So I can draw near to you. Right? If we talk about just all the things we've been talking about, even in the context of prayer, right? Week one, if my people, you got to know who God is. If you don't know who God is, you don't even understand that he wants you. Right? Because if you don't understand who God is and you don't understand that he wants you, why would you pray? Why would you want to be with someone that, you don't, that doesn't want you around? Have you ever hung out with someone that doesn't want you? That's like the worst. Like you just know you're not wanted? I want you to know that every time you're in the presence of Jesus, he wants you. I want you to know how broken or messed up you are. God, rather you be in his presence than not in his presence. That's why I want you to come to church all broken, messed up, and all jacked up. We'll work it out. We'll still tell you what's up, but we'll work it out. You got to know who God is. And then from a posture of knowing who God is, you get to the place of humility. Humility is this position of I need God more than I need to do things myself. And from the posture of humility, you begin to begin to go through what Pastor Ben was talking about of wanting God for God and not wanting God for something God can give you. And when you begin to truly understand that it's in the process of seeking Jesus for who he is. When I get around God, come on now, when I get around Jesus, I cannot but repent because I begin to realize the wickedness of my life amidst, against the holiness of who Jesus is. When you begin to get around God, God will reveal to you your own wickedness. He just will, right? He just will. When you begin to get around the presence of God, when you begin to get around the people of God, not that it's about comparison and someone's holier than another, but have you ever just had that person who loves Jesus more than you? Come on. And you just start to get challenged in your heart. 
And my, my friends, what I'm trying to explain is that through the midst of all that process, the goal should be then repentance, meaning that I need to change my sinful behavior and I need to draw closer to Jesus and not farther. Let me give it to you from a theological perspective, not just the definition. I want you to understand that repentance within God is how he often communicates his gospel. I want you to understand that the gospel and repentance are married together. So anyone who preaches a gospel without the preaching and message of repentance is preaching a heretical gospel. I want you to say that. I want, I want you to understand that right now. If you ever hear a gospel, right, and I get there's different facets of the gospel and there's different parts of the gospel. But if you're at a place for like two years, three years, four years, and they don't talk about repentance and they completely took in that out of the gospel, I want to tell you that you've not heard a holistic and true gospel. Because you cannot have a real gospel without the message of repentance. Because the message of repentance is the gospel. The Bible says in Romans, right? The Trinity is attached to the concept and idea of repentance. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that the goodness and kindness of God leads men to repentance. The goodness and kindness of God doesn't lead men to bigger houses. The goodness and kindness of God doesn't lead men to influence. The goodness and kindness of God doesn't lead men to healing and restoration and wholeness. No. The Bible says that before all that happens, the goodness and kindness of God leads men to repentance. This moment of turning away from sin, from saying sorry for all we've done, for realizing our wickedness of what we've done, and saying, God, I need you. That's, that's the goodness and kindness of God. Isn't that a trip? That in the context of good and kind, right, all the fluffy words, you have the intense words because that's who God is. He's bigger than us. Jesus, in Matthew, after he gets out of the desert, the Bible says that he went town to town, synagogue to synagogue, preaching the message of the kingdom. And what was his message? Repent before the kingdom is at hand. So the father, everything he does leads men to repentance. Why? Because the father understands that we can't truly have a relationship with him until we repent of our sins. And so he made a way when there is no way. The son, which is Jesus, came down to earth, and the first thing he starts preaching is repentance. Isn't that crazy? Like, that's the first series he did. I, I just, I would trip out if Jesus was in America. And I, I get there's different series and there's different things. Like, we do different series all the time. But that was his first sermon series. His first sermon series was going around saying, repent. 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 Say sorry for what you've done. Change your heart. Change your wicked ways. Why? Because the kingdom is at hand. What is he saying? He's saying you can grab the kingdom because it's right there in front of you, but you need to allow repentance to enter in your heart because repentance is the doorway at which we access the Father through his blood. And then the Son in John 15, sorry, in the Spirit in John 15, the Bible says he convicts us, and the Spirit actually is the one that empowers us to repentance. Because God understands that we're human and we can't do it on our own. So he sends us the Holy Spirit to help us repent. Isn't that, a, isn't that crazy? Because he knows you can't. Because let's be honest, we don't want to. Oftentimes we're stubborn. Right? Proverbs talk about how a fool stays in his ways. 
And we don't want to change. We don't like change. Most of us don't like, like some of us are even uncomfortable. Like it's kind of weird seeing Pastor Chris turn around when he's preaching right now. Like I'm used to the old building already. I'm over it. I get it. We don't like change. The problem is, is in the kingdom, the kingdom's all about change. And more that God wants to change the external you, he wants to change the internal you. He understands, though, that you can't do it yourself, so he sends you what's called the helper. And that helper will come convict you, so that way he can lead you into repentance. His Holy Spirit is known as the spirit of repentance. He's the one who sweeps through a room and begins to transform hearts and minds. Do you understand that the entire Trinity is at work when you're repenting of when you cussed someone out while you were driving? Whether it's something small or something big, that we have the entire Trinity at work in us. Why? Because God wants our heart more than anything else. More than anything else. And so sin creates distance, but repentance closes the gap. Come on now. Sin creates distance. It doesn't make God farther from you, but it does make us farther from God. That's what happens when you sin. That's what happens when you continue to habitually sin. That's why right now, even today, you feel like you're distant from God, and you could be in church every week, or you can try to be in a group, and I want you to do all those things. But distance has nothing to do with attendance. Distance has to do with your own heart drawing close to Jesus, even when people aren't looking. I feel distant from God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, right? For, for me, I, I'm a real Holy Spirit guy. I'm just going to be honest. Like, I think everyone relates to the Trinity in their own way, in their own manner, which is awesome. I think it's cool. I'm a very Holy Spirit guy. How I know I'm distant is because I'm less sensitive to the Holy Spirit than I used to be. That's how I know. There's a story of a man named Evan Roberts who was a revivalist. And, and he talked about how he knew he was in sin because he was able to look at a cross and not weep anymore. There's markers in your life of when you know you're distant. The way you get through the distance, the way you close the gap of distance in your life with God is repentance. It's the only way. Because the re- and the reason why it's the only way is because God hasn't moved. Does that make sense? God hasn't changed. God isn't going anywhere. You're the one that distanced yourself. And so you have to humble yourself before the Lord. You have to seek the face of Jesus. And you have to repent of your wickedness. So that way you can get closer to him. Not because he's gone away from you. But because you got to kind of go back to where you came from. That's not popular. Because what you have to do then is admit that you were wrong. When you're on the computer late at night and you're watching things you're not supposed to, you have to admit you're wrong. You have to admit of all the sexual immorality, all the addiction, all the lying, all the pride, all the envy, all the stuff, all the sins you can think of, you have to repent of it. That's how God gives us the grace to get the poison out. We have to. And as we repent of it, as we say sorry to God, as we confess our sins to Jesus, as we begin to invite God into the darkness of our life, we begin to realize that we're drawing closer to him and not farther. It's so crucial to understand. And if you want to know what sin is, just read the Bible. Right? It's, all, like, like it's very clear. Anything sexual immorality, it's a sin. Right? Don't sleep around if you're not married. 
Homosexuality is a sin. Don't, do porno- don't watch pornography, right? Don't cheat on your spouse. It's all sin, y'all. It's all sin, okay? Lying, it's a sin. It just is, right? And, and, and I could go through the list of sins. And I think it's very important that we have to come into this understanding that God is not wanting us to hide our sin under the rug and he's just going to just love us through it. No, there comes a moment where you have to confront the sin of your life because until you confront it, God can't come in and bring freedom because you have not allowed him into that place of your heart. Because family, he's not scared of your sin. Paul murdered people and he still got saved. God's not scared of the worst. Your worst day, your worst day doesn't scare Jesus. Your worst moment does not scare him. That's why I say repentance is beautiful. Because when we begin to articulate and understand the beauty of repentance, and that it doesn't matter what the sin is, that God still wants me to come to him and he made a way, why wouldn't I want to come to Jesus? Why wouldn't I want to come to Jesus? I want to read to you something that I wrote down. Do you not know that we are the Father's heart, right? The heart of the Father is us. God can want anything in the world, but he wants us. Isn't that crazy? I don't know about you, but that's kind of nuts because I know me. I don't even want me. Let's just be real. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want me on a hot day where it's 105 degrees in the summer in Lathrop. Come on now. Like, I don't even want me. I know how broken I was. I know how messed up I I know what I've done wrong to Jesus. I know when I failed. And again, this isn't a matter of perfection. This is a matter of nearness. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? I'm not saying you have to be perfect and never sin. That's not what I'm saying, because you're not going to do that. Hopefully, you can walk in that. Because Jesus gives us the grace to walk in that. I'm talking about fall in love with the process of returning back to the Lord. Let the times of prayer be times of tears and coming back to Jesus and not arrogantly thinking you have it all together when you actually don't. Do you not understand that you are the Father's reward? That you're, sorry, you're the Father's heart, that God's heart's on you. You're the Son's reward and you're the Spirit's passion. No one will ever want you more than Jesus. And he's made a way for us to draw closer and deeper in a relationship with him. No one. Doesn't ma- for all the single people in the room, no one will ever want you more than Jesus. You will not find it in a man or a woman. For all the married couples in the room who are trying to make your spouse your savior, and it's not working because that's not their role, because that's Jesus' role. No one will ever want you more than Jesus. To the person who was abandoned and let go, to the person who maybe your parents walked away, to the person who's experienced heartache, I want you to know that no one will ever want you more than Jesus. No one will ever want you more than him because there's no one like him. And I find it fascinating that the only thing we have to do, right, he's done it all. The only thing we have to do is admit we were wrong so that way we can draw closer to him because God requires repentance and humility to come to him. Because if we do not repent, I want you to understand this, 
if you do not repent of what you've done wrong and you think you can have a relationship with God, even though you think you're right and you're wrong, you are elevating yourself to God's status and that's what got the devil kicked out of heaven. When I tell God, spend time with me, but I'm right, I'm saying I'm at your level and God will never have you be at his level. But yet he wants you right where he's at. How do we get closer? How do we make sure we're not getting distant? How do we make sure we're not drifting away? Family, it's repentance. And I'll close with this. Because God loves our wholehearted sorry. For the parents in the room, there's a big difference. And when your kid says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, versus sorry, I don't really do this, but, but I, I, don't, I don't know if we're recording this service. We might be, whatever. Um, here's where the Catholics got it right. I'll just, I'll just, I'm going to honor where honors do. Here's where the Catholics got it right. They have created a culture where repentance is normal. Right? It's what you do. You go into the confession booth and you, you know what I'm saying? And, right? That's what you do. Here's where they got it wrong. Is they're repenting not because they want to change their life, but they're just trying to get out of the thing that they're getting in trouble with. Some of us go to the Lord to repent, not because we want to change, but because we just don't want to go to hell. <laughs> right? There's a difference between I'm sorry and sorry. Repentance is not a religious activity for you to feel better about yourself after Sunday. Repentance is a heart transformation that God gives you the ability to begin to work through so that he can have all of you and not just some of you. Because repentance is the pathway of giving him the things of our heart that we are giving other things, the sin in our life. Because remember, every time you sin, you are giving a piece of your heart to something that should be the Lord's. You're breaking your heart in pieces when God wants you whole. Repentance is the ability to get those pieces back, give it to him. Even when they're broken, God makes it whole again. So God wants our, our sorry. He loves our wholehearted sorry. Because our wholehearted sorry is what he died for. And there's a big difference between saying sorry just because you have to, because you're trying to get out of something, versus saying sorry and it's changed you. So my, for those that don't know, my, my family, we, we grew up in an, in an addict household. I grew up with addicts my whole life. And so if you ever have any questions, you could come find me, okay? I got your back. Grew up with drugs, alcohol, gangs, the whole nine, right? All the, all the craziness, cheating, fornicating, all the, all the wildness of and, and anything you can think of my family's done. It's really bad. It's really, really bad. I remember even when we first got married, me and my wife, I was like 22 years old, and, and I, I hadn't been at the doctor in like years. I remember there was a story of the nurse. She had to come in, and they established care. You've all had it done, and, you know, hopefully you have. If you haven't, you should probably do that. <laughs> You know, get your doctor stuff right. Um, and the nurse was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to ask you some questions. Uh, and she's like, we're going to start with your history. Do you have a history? Your parents have a history of drinking. Yes. Do, you have, do they have a history of drugs? Yes. Do they have a history of, you know, mental health? Yes. Do they have a history of cancer? Yes. Do they have a history of diabetes? Yes. They're like, and you just start going down and like everything on the list. She was just checking every box. I was like, come on, y'all, just give me one. And then she got to me. And she was like, okay, have you drank? 
Uh, and by God's grace, right? No. Have you smoked? No. Have you done drugs? No. Have you slept around only with my wife? And she looked at us like it was like I was lying. She was just doing her job. She's like, do you, do you need her to leave? And I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> so some of, us, some of us have gone through some things in our life. And so my background is crazy. And, and I remember when I was younger, um, we had a moment where um, I, I have four brothers. I have, I have four brothers. One passed away. And then I still have my three little brothers. I'm the oldest of five. My brother Julian, which is the third one, was very mean to my brother Alex, which is the second one. Now, Alex, some of y'all know Alex. There's a reason why sometimes he's mean, because Alex deserves it. I'm just going to be honest. I make fun of Alex all the time. Alex is here. So if you see Alex, tell him I talked about him today. We'll see if he shows up second service. Um, Alex, though, uh, when he was a baby, had it probably worse than all of us. You see, Alex was really needy and... My brother Julian uh, would get mad at my brother Alex because as a baby, my brother Alex was like like toddler, three, four years old. My brother Julian was like eight or nine, and he would be really needy with my mom. And so he, my brother Julian was the, the baby, and then Alex came along, and so you have all the whole sibling rivalry thing, and he got really mad. And so, so growing up, he would be really mean to my brother Alex, and he would be very hurtful. And, and I remember one day, I, I, it was years ago, where, where I was like, Julian, like, why are you so mean to him? Why are you so upset? Why, why are you so bothered with Alex? And, and Julian's like, because of this and that and this and that. And, and it started getting to the point where, you know, siblings, they fight. Like, we all have siblings. We all think that our siblings are demon-possessed and they need to get prayed for. Come on now. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, but it was past that. It was like, it was like mean, mean stuff. Like, like he would say things like, no one loves you and things like that. I'm like, bro, calm down. Like, that's like emotional damage. Like, you need to relax. So we, we pulled him to the side and we're like, Julian, like, you need to understand where Alex came from. And similar to our background, Alex had the same background. However, Alex had a different dad than us. And so Alex's background was way worse. And actually, when he was a baby, he was abused from the age of like three months to about two years old. I remember one day, I was 12, 13, because we're about 12, 13, 12, 13 years apart. And Alex comes to the house with my mom. My mom was in an abusive relationship with Alex's biological father. And Alex, my mom comes, her face is all bruised, completely beaten. And so was my brothers. This is what Alex lived in his whole life. And so he was emotionally scarred from the abuse. No one knew that except for me and my wife because I was the only one old enough to remember other than my family that were older and so when I finally told Julian about the life that Alex lived and why I, I said, Julian, you need to begin to be kinder to him because you don't understand what Alex has been through. Something shifted. And just right there, he just broke and he began to cry and cry and cry. And he was like, I am so sorry. And I just, I share that story. Of course, we're still brothers and we joke around. But ever since then, something shifted in Julian with my brother Alex. That's what repentance looks like. And even deeper with the Lord. It's not just, I'm sorry, let me feel better about myself. No, no. 
your demeanor changes, your posture changes, your attitude changes, your perspective of sin changes. You begin to abhor or you begin to be disgusted of the thing that was keeping you distant from God. Something internally begins to get transformed. And family, that's what I would believe that God would do today is that for some of us in the room, we need to have a repentance moment. Some of us in the room need to come back to the Lord in a real way and begin to make this normal again. Begin to make this idea of God, I'm sorry, I need you, normal again. Some of us have been in church for a long time. When's the last time you said sorry to God? When's the last time you've actually repented of the things you know that you're doing wrong? When is the last time we've confronted the things that are separating us from Jesus? And for some of you in the room that you're here for the first time or second time or third time or you're trying this Jesus thing out, can I tell you that God loves you so much? And the way to him, one of the main ways to him, man, is you got to confront that thing that's holding you back and say, God, I don't want this anymore. I'm sorry. There's a difference between a wholehearted sorry and a sorry that's just lip service but doesn't allow God to change our hearts. Jesus says in Matthew, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name or honored be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Whole whole Lord's Prayer. Forgive us of our sins. Repent of the things I've done wrong. Because God understands that when we repent, we're drawing closer to Him. It's necessary. It's necessary. One more story and I'm done. I promise. One more. One more. I don't know if you've heard, but there's this crazy move of God happening in college campuses all over America. There's a revival that broke out, like a move of God at Asbury College. And, and, and I've been to Asbury College, okay? I've, like, visited it. It's not cool. It's, like, in the middle of Kentucky. It's, like, a, it's a 150-year-old Methodist building. Like, it's, it's not cool. There's nothing cool about it. Like, our church setup is way cooler than Asbury College in this high school. I'm just going to be honest. Kentucky people, they're just different. I'm just going to be real, okay? They, I think they're starting to slow down, but for about 10 days, I think it was 10 days or two weeks almost, they had a nonstop church service that lasted 24 hours for 14 days, and thousands of people came to the Lord. It started, it started going to other campuses, college campuses and churches, and I'm so excited because I just think this is, this is a, a, a taste of what I believe God's trying to do across the nation. You want to know how it started? A young person got on stage during their normal chapel and he started confessing his sin. That's how it started. It wasn't a planned moment. It wasn't a revival moment. The worship song didn't hit good. People didn't feel a bunch of goose pimples, goosebumps, none of that. It wasn't that they played Oceans or their favorite song. It was a young person that confronted the sin of his life and said, God, you're greater. And in front of everyone began to repent. And the, and, and, and the story goes that a spirit of repentance began to break out in the room and it has not stopped to this day. I want to tell you that God can do more with your authentic vulnerable moment than he ever can with your fake one. And what if we could come into what God's doing across this nation and part of it is allowing us to repent so that we can draw closer to Jesus. 
Can we be a church that makes this normal? Can we be a church that prays and allows the grace and spirit of repentance to begin to win our hearts so we can draw closer to God? Can we be a people that want Jesus more than we want anything else? And I get all the other stuff in life is fun, but at the core of everything is Jesus at the center. And if there's anything that's getting in the way, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for drinking more than I'm supposed to. God, I'm sorry for the sexual immorality. God, I'm sorry for the way I think. God, I'm sorry for the lies and the cheating. God, I'm, I'm sorry. And God, I'm sorry for all of it. I'm sorry for what I've done to my spouse. I'm sorry for how I treated the church. I'm sorry for all these things because God, I just want you. I just want you. So do me a favor, stand on your feet. We're gonna let you go. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.